Welcome to the Universal Sisterhood Podcast. We're hoping to create a place where women can delve deeper, lift their gaze higher, live freer, laugh louder, smile brighter, and be the authentic woman they were designed to be. Every human heart is created to be seen, known, and understood. So this is a place where women can share their stories. Hi, in today's episode, I chat with Mary Lennerberg. She's a writer, a speaker, a woman of God, a blogger. She's chasing the dream of the perfect cup of coffee, so she says. But most importantly, she is a wife and a mother. Um, She wrote this book um, about her life, but it was primarily because of her beautiful daughter, Courtney. Um, The book she's written is called Be Brave in the Scared, um, and it's how she learned to trust God during the most difficult times of her life. And we can all relate to her story in some way. Um, It may not be as drastic as hers, but it is that ultimate Um, letting go and surrender and trust that she captures and pursues daily and that we can learn so much from. She is a firecracker. She's hilarious. You'd love the interview. Um, Listen, it takes an hour, but I'm sure you've got it in you. Enjoy. I'd like to introduce yourself and tell us why you're here. I'd love to. Why am I here? Okay, my name is Mary Lennerberg, and I live in Fairfax, Virginia, in the United States. And right now, I'm just in awe of technology, yeah. <laughs> for starters. But I'm here to talk about my um, brand new book called "Be Brave and the Scared: How I Learned to Trust God During the Most Difficult Days of My Life." And um, it's sort of a spiritual memoir. It's the story of uh, my relationship with God over the course of my adult life. Um, and we talk about lots of different things, um, in the book. Basically, um, I am married for almost 31 years now to my husband, Jerry, and, um, we have been blessed with four souls, two children that, um, we lost through miscarriage and then our son, Jonathan, who's going to be, uh, 29 now. And our daughter, Courtney, who passed away when she was 22 years old. And she was a child who, um, had a seizure disorder, um, that was discovered when she was five weeks old and she lived most of her life. Um, the developmental age of a seven to nine month old child. Um, she was cortically blind and nonverbal and wheelchair bound. But um, we sort of talk about in the book, she's like the underlying catalyst. She begins the, um, she kind of drives the story, shall we say. She's sort of like that underlying um, message all the way through. She shows me through our struggles to care for her. Uh, through our struggles to um, make sure she has the best life possible, um, how to love without condition, how to um, enter into fully that relationship of mother and child, um, sort of how God sees us is how we saw Courtney. Mm -hmm. There was nothing Courtney could ever do to earn our love. Same as with the Lord Jesus. There's nothing we can ever do to earn his love. It's given freely and fully. And Courtney taught us that. She showed us the face of Christ. So it's a spiritual memoir and um, kind of my dance with God. And it's not always an easy dance. He and I had several missteps along the way. It's not the fox truck. never misstepped. Yeah, no, no, no. It's more, more like, I don't even know what it was, an awkward eighth grade dance, you know, with the first one you ever go to or you're stepping all over each other's feet and you're trying to figure out who's going to lead and who's going to follow. Yeah, well, that was me and the Lord. But um, Just yeah, let him lead. It ends well, though. <laughs> it yes, it ends well. So. It ends beautifully. So, um in your book, I loved how you, you spoke about, um, I'm just looking it up here, um, it was such a revolution to me. I mean, I've been a Catholic my whole life and um, I've had a relationship of sorts, I think it's more cognitive, with our Lord. And it wasn't until I read the um, Psalms, the Song of Songs, like exactly like you said in your book, that I realised actually loves me like he really really yeah. loves me he really really loves you yeah. yes he does and, he and does. I loved I laughed out loud because I read this book on our trip to Dubbo we took the kids to the zoo a few weekends ago and I read the entire book it is a long drive but 
No one got any conversation with me. I was buried in your book. It was so beautiful. But I howled and I laughed out loud. And this, I just want to read it. It says here, whatever our disappointment, disillusionment or pain, the love and acceptance we are searching for is found only at the foot of the cross. God's sacrifice is greater than our greatest shame. There is no substitute for him. He is my beloved and yours, waiting for you and me with open arms. His mercy and healing are more than enough. The Song of Songs says you are beautiful in every way, my friend. There is no flaw in you. So why did I feel like my body and soul were covered with acne? I I, I was crying and then I just killed myself laughing because that's exactly how it is. We think we're... It is. We all feel like awkward 13-year-old girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you explain really how Courtney undid that for you? Or did she? Oh, gosh. Slowly, very slowly. Um, when, as I, as I share in the book, when Courtney was seven months old, we gave her a medication that we thought would help her. Mm. And what it ended up doing was taking her sight and almost killing her. She mm. had an allergic reaction to it. So we had, to, I had to deal, we had to deal as a couple with the guilt mm. of doing something that hurt our child, even though we were trying to help our child. Mm. And so that was sort of like the second point of undoing for me. And I was so angry at God and I was so angry at myself and I couldn't understand how he could love me in that moment. Mm. I couldn't understand why it wasn't all judgment. Um, that's what I was judging myself. Yeah. And so I was trying, what I learned was I was trying to place my human emotion, um, and giving it to God. Like I couldn't quite grasp the greatness and the glory of who God was and how freely and fully he loved me because I was limited by my own human understanding. And so I remember sitting in the hospital with Courtney and the doctors were telling us, you know, she's never going to walk. She's never going to talk. She's never, you're going to have to care for her for the rest of her life. She probably won't live, uh, you know, a typical life as far as length of time, you know, she could die by her first birthday, by her third birthday, by her fifth birthday. I mean, they had, nothing was good. It was all bad. Mm. And I remember my husband looking at me saying, but she's ours and, and God, gave her to us and there is a purpose and a reason to him doing that mm. she needs us and we need her mm. it was sort of my first inkling of god loves through and beyond all of the stuff everything that happens to us everything the wall that we build up ourselves um the wall that sometimes is there because of our ability or disability um, he sees through it all. He sees nothing but perfection and beauty. Mm. And if he could look at my daughter and see perfection and beauty, then when he saw me, isn't that what he saw was perfection and beauty? Yes, I am flawed. Yes, I am a sinner, but he made me in his image and likeness and he made my daughter in his image and likeness. And it was through my motherhood. It was through me loving her and seeing the beauty of her. And seeing how um, God remained with her, where I was able to see him look at me the same way. And I know. It took a long time. Yeah, a lifetime. Probably is still happening. Yeah, 22 years. Oh, sure, we still have moments. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. Absolutely. I've read A Thousand Gifts and now I'm reading, um, what's it called? The Broken Way. And she says, Ne oh, never yes, be afraid of being wonderful. oh isn't she wonderful oh. never so be afraid good. of being a broken thing and i think we're so afraid yeah. of being broken yeah. and not perfect and i mean i think we're afraid of being broken because we don't know how to fix ourselves yeah and what we don't realize is that we're not the fixer mm. god is the divine physician and we have to submit our life and our brokenness to his healing. And that means that we have to let it go. We have to let go of our broken, of our sin, of our shame. We have to give it to him. There's a line I say in the book, God cannot heal what you do not give him. Mm. He can't heal it unless you give it to him to heal. Yeah, how beautiful. And that's I and think, that one of the fears we have is that, He's not going to heal it. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain surrender? Because I, 
you know. Ah, surrender. This whole yes. book, it was total uh, surrender. Like in the end, you just handed yeah. it. I mean, you had the lot. We'll probably go into that. But well, there was a lot, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot going on in your small 25 years. Yeah, her her twenty, you know, follows Courtney all the way through uh, from the beginning to the to the end of her life, and then after um, she's gone home to God, this year will be five years um, hmm. in December, fifth anniversary. It's around Christmas, her, um, wasn't it? Heaven homecoming. So yeah, two days after Christmas, hmm. December twenty seventh. What a party! So there was a lot going on. Here's what happens with surrender. So when you have a crisis, so you're walking along in life, you meet, for me, I met the man of my dreams. He was a handsome naval officer. We got married. Grand adventure begins. Um, and things begin to go wrong. You know, we have a miscarriage. We have a healthy baby boy. Um, he has asthma as a small child, so that was hard. We have another miscarriage. We have Courtney. And then when Courtney was five weeks old, she began to have seizures, and it just began the facade of what we thought was our perfect happy life mm -hmm. began to crack. And what happens when you see, think of, um, think of a new road, and there's been an earthquake or there's been sort of whatever breaks open the asphalt, right? Yeah. And the water line breaks or the sewage line breaks. Something breaks underneath and it comes bubbling up to the surface. This is what was happening to my marriage is that that asphalt pop was breaking. And all the things that we had been pushing down and shoving down and not talking about and um, ignoring in our marriage, number one, I had uh, basically an eating disorder. Uh, I was a borderline bulimic. Um, most of I, I, I'm still considered that. Um, I've been in in recovery and healing for gosh, twenty years now. So um, you know, I, I don't suffer from those things. I, I recognize the triggers hmm. uh, in my emotional health and with food, but um, that still exists in my past. Yeah. So my dad's and an my alcoholic. Husband, but he hasn't drunk for since I was a baby. But he's still considered there an alcoholic. So similar an thing. Alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic, and and he uh, got sober when I was nineteen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I grew up in that household, mm -hmm. that type of household. Um, but my husband, I discovered. I guess we had been married probably three years, and um, he has uh, he had an addiction to pornography. So you have this woman who is gaining all this weight because she's emotionally overeating and not dealing with all the emotional things of having a special needs child. And then you have a husband who is turning away from his wife and dealing with his own addiction in his own way. So there's further rejection. So not only was I rejecting myself, I was being rejected was by him. He, yeah. And not only did he feel that I was rejecting him, but he then was dealing with his own issues with himself. So we both had two broken people who meet in the middle of the road and we think we can fix it all ourselves and love is the answer to everything. And it's a great Hallmark movie. And we go running off together into the sunset and then you wake up, you know, five years later and you look around and it's just a disaster. And, um, and what happened was all of those things kept bubbling to the surface as Courtney got worse, as, mm -hmm. as these traumas kept happening to her and then you have a healthy child who's her older brother and he's three years older than she was. And you have him in the mix and he's just trying to be noticed. He's just trying yeah. to say, hi, I'm here. Please see Don't me. Don't forget Please me. Please love me. Yeah. Don't forget who I am. And then, so that further breaks you, yeah. you know, you have, you're broken. Your marriage is broken. Your daughter's broken. Now your son's broken. Your husband's broke. Eh, there's just so much brokenness. We're like a big, um, you know, the where they take the cars when they're all broken and we're all rusty and hanging out there going, looking at each other going, how are we going to do this? How, yeah. how is this even, this is not enjoyable. I'm not having fun. Are you having I didn't fun? sign up I'm for this. Here. Exactly. I didn't, you know, so when you say what is surrender, surrender is looking at all of that and understanding that there is a purpose and a reason to why God allows that in our life mm -hmm. and that we are to bring it to him. We are to bring it to the foot of the cross and surrender is for me was very slow, but as um, I recognized I had so much shame built up about my past and what I was doing and what he was doing 
And then we, I entered into the pornography with him for a time because I felt it would, it would save our marriage. Well, that's, you know, I mean, that's just two people heading down to hell on a faster road than the first one. You know, we, we, we went from a pickup truck to a Maserati. I mean, it was just like, let's go. Um, and then there came a moment where I recognized um, what what we were doing and how horrible it was. And we had a conversation one night and I told him, I said, you have to make a choice. I said, I can't do this anymore. You either have to love me as I am um, or you have to go. And where does that strength and come from? That strength came, it actually came from fear. Mm. I couldn't, I thought I would eat myself to death. Mm. I, I was killing myself mm. with cupcakes. And, um, and my son was beginning to act out and he got kicked out of preschool and things were happening and it was just all breaking and it was all you couldn't hide the breaking anymore mm. there was no more hiding it it was out there for the world to see and um I just I was done I kind of just reached a point where I was done and I think he had reached it too but he didn't know how to get off say it yeah and so we um he chose us you know I have to I have to give him the credit for the strength to choose us. Many men wouldn't. Yeah. And I, I know many men have not. And he did. He chose us and he chose our life together, as imperfect as it was, um, to stay. And uh, I'm so, so grateful that he chose to stay. Yeah. And at that point when he made that choice and I, you know, kind of gave him the choice, things began. Um, you would think they would begin to get better, but they didn't. They got worse because then we had to figure out how were we going to do this. Mm -hmm. And the glue that kept us together at that moment was our daughter. Neither one of us wanted to be responsible for abandoning our child yeah. in her time of need. And so she showed us how to be a team. And we learned um, how to take care of her while beginning to enter into healing ourselves. So I got into therapy. He got a, a there wasn't therapy at that time for pornography. So he got a mentor and he, um, uh, we have dear, dear, dear friends. They are our best friends. When they met us on this road, we were both very, very broken and lost, but we were both ready to, to heal. We were ready to make it better. Hmm. And uh, they met us on that road and hmm. they dived in. They were, it's funny, they were, they're seven years younger than we are. And yet spiritually and with their own journey in the, in their faith, their Catholic faith, they were 20 years older yeah. than us. You know? That's the beauty and of faith. Both, yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah. It, it brings it, age. No, all ages and stages and we can all, relate to each other and yep. it's, it is so beautiful everybody has a story and yeah. everybody has a journey and and they had um uh our friend deacon marks had he's a permanent deacon now at the time he was just marks our friend um he has a background in counseling and and was very familiar with that world and so he stepped in as as my husband's um uh sort of accountability mm -hmm. partner and uh we um we entered marriage counseling we got jonathan some counseling help we um, began to open up our lives a little more to allow other people to help us with our daughter with her physical care with um financially with her care um people were just waiting they were waiting for us to ask you yeah. know nobody wanted to step in and kind of roll over us and say hey we're here they were they were waiting for us to say yeah we really could use your help and people people respond to an invitation they just were waiting and we just have to be brave Thank enough you. to Mother ask. Mother Teresa used to say that someone has to be humble enough to receive mm. the charity in order for another yeah. to be brave enough to learn to be charitable. Yeah, how beautiful. So somebody's got to be the one to accept it. And so we opened our doors and we, we were humbled and very humbled and people helped. And this was all in that, I guess it was over the course of seven years um, that we – um, came to know Jesus in a way that we had never known. 
it was the first part of the surrender. It wasn't complete surrender at that point, but it was surrender enough to receive help, mm. to go and do the work that it takes to keep a marriage together, to heal the individual hurts. We had both recognized that we brought the sin, this sin of unworthiness, mm. like we didn't feel we were worthy of love. We it's, brought that into our marriage from, you know, yeah. our family of families of origin. origin yeah. And um, there's that saying that, that Sister Miriam, do you, do you know Sister Miriam? Yes, She always I do. says, yeah, if, if you don't transform your wounds and your sins and our crosses, we transmit them. And that's exactly transmit what, them, was, and that's exactly what, what we were unfolding. doing. Yeah. We were transmitting them on everybody and everything. We yeah. were hurting each other further. We were hurting our families further. We were hurting our children further. And it wasn't until um, about seven, ten years into our marriage that we finally were able to say, wait a minute, we need to stop because we are destroying one another. Mm. And we loved each other. You know, we legitimately loved one another and cared for one another and wanted this to work. Mm. And so um, we stepped out of that hurt and began to step into healing. And how and do you forgive? A long time. Yeah. Just oh, forgiveness is an active choice of the will. Yeah. We forgive each other every day. Forgiveness is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself mm. because the only vessel that rots is the one that contains the unforgiveness. Mm. You know, if I don't forgive, then it, it affects me, not him, mm. not others that I need to forgive. It's, it's me. They're going on with their life. They're moving forward. They're, they're not even thinking about it. Yeah. And yeah. you are You're like this chewing. rotting vessel on the inside so you have to oh gosh forgiveness is so freeing yeah. um i really learned to enjoy confession the the mm -hmm. sacrament of reconciliation um i had been terrified of it most of my life i i'm a cradle catholic um and i never enjoyed it I always felt like such judgment to me but mm -hmm. there came a, a particular confession where i went in and confessed that I had gotten my tubes tied at the age of 25, and I didn't do it um, really out of medical necessity. I didn't enjoy being pregnant. It wasn't my favorite time in life, but I did it out of fear. You know, I had done it because we had had two perfect children, and I was like, "We're good. We don't need to. We don't need to involve God in our family planning decisions." Um, and so I got my tubes tied, and I had held on to that because I knew it was against church teaching. For gosh. 10 years at that point. Mm. And I remember walking into confession, finally ready, finally ready to let go. I had held on to the pornography. I hadn't confessed it. I hadn't confessed getting my tube side. I hadn't confessed um, the gluttony and the, the bulimia and the overindulgence. I had, I, I was still going to mass every Sunday. I was still receiving communion during this entire time because I went to the same parish my parents went to. And there was no way I was going to allow anyone to see mm -hmm. that there was anything wrong. So I was further harming myself yeah. spiritually during this whole time. And you get to a point where you just are numb to it. You just, mm. you just keep walking. And when the numbness began to wear off, um, I knew I had to, yeah. I had to get on my knees and I had to do a lot of um, work a lot of internal work. And I remember that confession so well. Um, Father Whitestone is one of our parish priests here. And I remember him being so kind. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, Father, I hope you're ready. Because I waited till I was the last person in line. So there was no one behind me. <laughs> because I knew it was going to be like this epic, long confession. And he just looked at me and he goes, okay, let's, let's, let's do this. And I literally started from I think when I was 13. And I just worked my way through. Oh, yeah. And I... How freeing. I just went one at a time all the way through. And that man, God bless him, he just patiently sat there. And, and when I would get stuck, he would he would ask a question. And, and that would open up, you know, oh, yes, this, I did this. And then there was this. And then there was this. And I went through the whole thing. And I think it took me like 35 minutes, you know. I just yeah. kept going. And I was crying. And. And I was just like, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of carrying this. I can't do it anymore. Father, I can't do it. And he just, I remember him taking my hands and he said, Mary, you weren't ever meant to do it. Mm -hmm. Jesus already carried it. He already carried it on the cross. 
And there's a crucifix right above him in the confessional. And he said, look right there. He said, there it all is, right there. He goes, those nails, you did that. I did that. We all did that. We nailed him to that cross. The slashes in his body, that's our sin. That's our rejection of him. He said, but it's already been done. Hmm. He's done it all. So now you're going to let it all go because he did it. He carried it for you. Did you skip out of there? <laughs> I did. I, I'm crying. Know, it, was, it was a little frightening because I, I, it felt like I had a boulder in my chest that mm. I had been carrying around for decades. And I learned to breathe around the boulder. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to consider what would happen when you actually let the boulder go. Because then there's this gaping wound. Mm. And, and you feel like 50 pounds lighter. But you don't know what to do because you're so used to carrying that shame mm. and that guilt. And you're so used to carrying the expectations and the disappointments and the sin and the rejection that if you don't have that to carry anymore, what do you care? What, what happens? What do you do? And, and I told him that I said, I, I don't know what to do now. And he goes, you realize Mary, I've absolved you. God is absolved. You are free. And I said, what does that mean? What does that mean? And he goes, that means you go out there in front of the tabernacle and you thank God for healing every wound and you give him that empty space in your heart and you allow him to reside there. That now belongs to him. So you carry him mm-hmm. in that place where that boulder once was. Right. And you let him work through all of the healing he goes you're just getting started Mm -hmm. he said you have to understand you just took the boulder out now now comes the healing and now comes the restoration and now you have to go and you have to ask the forgiveness of the people that you need to ask forgiveness now you you have to sit in the quiet and allow him to minister to you you know and when you when the devil wants to remind you of that sin of those bruises because you know once of course our sins are forgiven when we give them freely and fully with a contrite heart but those bruises are still there those reminders are still Mm -hmm. there we don't forget them necessarily i mean god does but we don't we're human Mm -hmm. and um when the devil likes to mess with your head and kind of step on that old wound and say hey don't you remember you did this you don't think he could forgive you for that. I don't care what that dude in the black collar said. <laughs> you know, you still have that. When those moments come, which they still do, mm. uh, and I think they always will, um, there are two things that he told me to do. The first thing was to say, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Um, he reminded me of the story of Paul after he was Saul, the murderer, and then he had this huge conversion and became Paul. And when Paul would be reminded of the people that he murdered, he would call upon the grace of the Lord. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. And so Father said, say that. You do that. And then um, he goes, the rest you surrender to him. You surrender it. You give it away. You you." put it in a little box in your mind, you put it at the foot of the cross and you leave it there and you don't think about it again. Yeah. It's an active choice of the will to walk away and say, I will now live my life and that is there and I am here. And it takes some practice, but if you do it with little things first, then when it comes to the big things, it's easier to do yeah. um, because you know you've been forgiven. And so to surrender to me, is to seek forgiveness and healing and to let go of carrying the burden, to let go of the literal weight Mm. that shame and guilt and fear um, press down on you. You know, you think of a, you're carrying around a U-Haul trailer behind you filled with all of your crap that you've built up over your life and you let it go. You unhook the whole thing. Yeah. And you let it go down and it blows up into a fiery ball of awesome and it's done. <laughs> and you walk and away. How, how liberating. And it was incredibly 
and I, it continues to happen. My healing and my resura- uh, restoration is a continual, um, it's a continual process. You know, we went through many years with Courtney, but she died. She died five years ago. Mm. And that brought back so much pain um, because when you're walking your child to their death, I mean, we had her at home with us in hospice for the last three months of her life. She was with us the whole time, but those three months we knew she was dying. And when you walk through that, life becomes very, very clear. It's, it's, it's a very clarifying moment. What is important and what is not important? Mm-hmm. And there is one thing that is important in life, only one. And that is the question our Lord will ask you when you arrive at those gates. And the question he will ask is, how did you love in my name? Mm-hmm. How did you love in my name? And here I was holding my child who I had cared for and loved and did everything we possibly could to help her and assist her in her life, to make it the very best life we could, to protect the dignity of her personhood, to um, maintain the joy of who Courtney was. and the. So I, Paul Claudel, and I think he is a French poet. I heard him this morning on my jog. Um, someone quoting him, and he said that Jesus did not come to explain away suffering or remove it. He came to fill it with his presence. And I feel that that's kind of what, the when once that boulder was removed, the present, you could fill it with him. There was room for him. You could fill it with him, absolutely, absolutely, because there's room, absolutely, because you're removing the boulder, so what does that do? It makes room for Christ in your heart. It makes room for him because you're not, you're not blocking the door anymore. Mm. The door's open. Mm. Um, We have a quote that hangs uh, on our wall from Mother Teresa, and it hangs next to Courtney's portrait. And um, I think if there was ever a quote that described our life and our love for our daughter, it's this. It says, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. Mm. And I think for us, that is what Courtney taught us. Courtney's whole job was to teach people how to love unconditionally without barrier or perimeter. There was nothing Courtney could do to earn our love, nothing we can do to earn God's love. It is freely and fully given. Mm. And she was a perfect example of that. And so are many of our special needs brothers and sisters. They're just they are uh, here to show us the face of Christ in its beauty and in its perfection. Because when God created them, he did not make a mistake. Mm-hmm. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make junk. He makes perfection mm-hmm. and only perfection. Mm-hmm. And it is us in our humanity and because we live in a fallen world and sin exists that we kind of screw it up. But, um, you know, she taught us how to love and she taught us how to say, um, no to ourselves so that we could say yes to the greater good. You know, when you love someone, you want their good above your own. Yeah. And so that's what, um, that's what our life was like with her. And we miss her greatly. I mean, her presence is still very much here in our home, but, um, it's too quiet for me. I miss her humming and her laughter and, um, and her physical presence. Um, I remember the day she died, I had asked God for the gift of being with her for her last breaths, if that was possible, if that was, I had been praying that prayer for many, many, many years. And, um, and he honored that he gave me, um, those last several days, literally holding her in my arms the whole time, singing to her, praying over her loving her, telling her everything I needed to say um, until I had no words left. And um, her last moments were so filled with peace and joy. Uh, When she passed away, she simply exhaled, Mm. and she had the most beautiful smile on her face. And as I say in the book, that day, um, it broke my heart and saved my soul in the same moment. It broke my heart because it was the last time I would ever hold her. Mm-hmm. I would ever feel the weight of her her head on my chest. I would ever feel the weight of her arms, you know. Um, I would ever smell her hair, which always smelled like apples. Um, 
and uh, I would ever see her buck tooth. She had she couldn't have braces, so she had buck teeth. <laughs> she had my smile before I had braces when I was a teenager, and beautiful blue eyes, and um, the most delicate long hands, um, little fingers, you know. And and she would wrap them around you with such strength. And I miss every single bit of that. I miss all of it. But I knew without a doubt that there is a God in heaven. And if I ever questioned it, I no longer did in that moment. Because I know when she closed her eyes here, she opened them Hmm. in heaven. And the first person she saw was her beloved Jesus. The one she had suffered so beautifully Hmm. for. The one she had said yes to. The one that she said, yes, I know what my job is here. I know how to do this. Because you're going to give me strength to do it. And she had no sin bearing her soul. She wasn't capable of it. And so her whole entire life here, she had a direct line of communication with Jesus. She had like a super highway open between her and him. And so... um, Can you explain what happened? Was Mass. Can can you... Uh, In in Lourdes. Oh, in Lourdes, yes. Well, when she she was seven, we were able to go um, on a healing pilgrimage to Lourdes, France. And... um, Courtney at the time, like I said, she was seven to nine months in development. So she's in a little wheelchair and um, we go and Lourdes, of course, is known for the miracle of the water. St. Bernadette in 1858, I believe it was, uh, had several uh, apparitions of Our Lady. And Our Lady never spoke to her except for one time where she said she was the Immaculate Conception. And this is where this dogma in the Catholic Church comes from, from this revelation of Our Lady in Lourdes. But she told uh, Bernadette to um, dig and dig in the ground and water bubbled up. And people that came to that water and bathed in that water were healed um, of their physical uh uh, disabilities and so that water is now a raging river now um, and the baths have healing they've been known to heal and they continue to to this day so we took our daughter to Lourdes and as she was being prepared to go into the water um, they had a one of the women praying over her had a little statue about six inches tall of Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception so the little white uh, she was wearing a white gown with the, with the blue sash and she was um, touching it to Courtney where Courtney had issues. She was, she was asking me where, where are her disabilities? So Courtney had seizures. So we had her touch it to her head. Her legs did not work properly. So to her legs, she um, had tummy issues. Uh, when we got back to the United States, she would have a G tube put in, which is a gastrointestinal tube to help her eat. Um, all of those things. So, so the women were praying over her as they had her on a stretcher and getting her ready to go into the water. And so as this woman was praying and brought the statue around Courtney's face, Courtney, because she had a neurological disorder, her hands were sort of clawed and fisted. And so she was, she usually kept them up by her chest and she never reached for anything because she couldn't see it. She was cortically blind. So um, as the woman brought the statue down from her forehead to around her cheekbone, Courtney opened her hand and grabbed the statue out of the woman's hand. And I, all I could think of was, it's not your sippy cup. You can't put it in your mouth. You can't bite <laughs> off our lady's head. This is not how we start out our trip to Lourdes. We don't do that, you know? And so I took two or three steps forward to kind of remove it from her hands. And in that process of, of walking toward her, um, Courtney put our lady over her heart. And then she took her, her left hand, which was still fisted, and put it on top of her other one. Purposefully. Mm-hmm. She had never, ever done that in her life. And I stopped dead in my tracks. And I I was relieved that she wasn't putting her in her mouth, but I was also cognizant that something was happening. Yeah. Something very unusual was happening. So I um, watched, and, and they covered her with a sheet because you go into the Lord's, the water at Lord's, as the Lord brought you into the earth. So uh, naked as a jaybird wrapped in a wet sheet. So <laughs> I was not really prepared for that myself. That was you as well? Any of the brochures. Do you yes, go? Yes. <laughs> you go in. Yeah, they wrapped you in a sheet. And I I looked at the woman that had, or, or the woman with us from, from the Knights of Malta and I said, you didn't tell me this part. Like, <laughs> this wasn't the part. Me this part. 
this was not what I signed up for. And I remember she was from Ireland. Her name was Anne. And I remember her looking at me saying, well, Lassie, if I told you everything, then you wouldn't have come. And I thought, you're right. I would have <laughs> not come. You're absolutely right. So I, when I went into the, so Courtney went into the water and, um, she continued to hold our lady. And when she came out of the water, it was a really quick little dump. She comes out of the water. She's still holding on to our lady the whole time. And she has this beautiful smile on her face. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's our miracle. You know, just right. I'm like, that's our miracle of words. Um, nope. That, that was, that was just one of many, yeah. but I went into the water and they asked me what my prayer was. And um, as I stepped into the bath, I had had this big, long prayer prepared. Jerry and I had practiced it on the plane on the way over. And the water is so cold. It's cold through the Pyrenees Mountains. It's the coldest water I've ever stepped into in my life. And I think it's purposefully cold. I think Our Lady makes it that way so that you can think of nothing other than to her. Yeah. It does. And so when I stepped into the water, all of that prayer that I had thought about and prayed about and practiced and tried to memorize was gone. Yeah. And the woman asked me, Mary, what is your prayer? And I just closed my eyes for a moment and I said, got quiet. And I heard a young woman's voice say a word. She said, acceptance. And I open my eyes and I look around and the women that were with me, they're, they're, they're there to assist you. They all had their heads bowed in silent prayer, like no one had spoken. And I thought, oh, did our lady just tell me to accept Courtney? Did she just say to accept this role that I've given you? Mm. And I kind of was a little upset because I thought I did accept it. I thought I loved my daughter. I was caring for my daughter. What was there to accept? I didn't understand. Um... And so I got back out of the water and, you know, I got dressed and we got Courtney dressed. We went over to mass, which was our next um, little activity. And we went to mass and I saw Jerry as we walked out of the baths and he looked up and my husband's, <laughs> he's rather grumpy. He was, he's a grumpy old man as we call him, but he <laughs> doesn't smile a lot and he's a wonderful man and I love him and he has great joy in his heart, but he tends to keep that very close just the people who know him best. Yeah. And um, his Instagram handle is the grouchy historian. So that says all you need to know. <laughs> but he was smiling as he was waiting for us. And then he saw Courtney and she was still in her wheelchair. And so he, he bowed his head and, and he had tears in his eyes and he just looked at the ground. And I thought, oh my gracious, what's happening? Um, he had just become a Catholic a year earlier. So he just was a brand new Catholic. He had been a Lutheran his whole life and he had converted to the church. And all I kept thinking was, great, we bring him to Lourdes, the most Catholic experience he's ever had in his life. And somehow we messed it up. We, you know, we disappointed <laughs> him. And um, as we were leaving Mass, I was telling him everything that Courtney had done, how she had held Our Lady to her chest and she was smiling. And then I had gone in the water and I, you know, apologized to him because I didn't hear, I didn't say the prayer we practiced. I had heard this word and what does that mean? And, you know, I was very confused by it. And I'm chatting, 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 chatting as we're walking up this hill with pushing Courtney's wheelchair up to lunch. And I looked to my side thinking my husband was the one I was chatting to. And I was chatting to this lovely elderly Frenchman. Who had no had idea. Hands behind his back, just no idea, just nodding his head, <laughs> smiling at me. And I thought, oh, what is happening? Who are you? And where is Jerry? And I turned around and Jerry was about 10 feet away from me. And he was stock still, white in the face. Uh, and I, I thought he was, you know, ill. And so I was, I went against traffic, as they say. I kind of pulled Courtney's wheelchair down backwards. And I looked at him. I said, what's wrong with you? Why are you stopped? What's going on? And he grabbed my arm. And he's not a grabber. That's not how he does it. He grabbed my arm and he goes, Mary, what? What did you, what, what happened in the water? What did you, what happened? And I thought he was upset with me that I didn't say the prayer. So I apologized. He goes, no, Mary, Mary, what, what did you hear in the water? And I said, it's a young woman's voice. It said acceptance, I think. I think I think our lady spoke to me and he just looked at me and he goes, Mary, I went in the water. I'm like, you did? That's so great. I didn't think you were going to go in the water. You said it was really, really too Catholic yet. You weren't ready. And he goes, Mary, because I tend to be kind of very squirrel-like. And I'm like, yes. And he goes, 
I forgot to say the prayer. And I said, well, I forgot to say the prayer. He goes, would you please stop and listen to me? I'm like, what? He goes, I heard a young woman's voice. And she said one word. And it was acceptance. And I looked at him. I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) What did you hear? I repeat, what just happened? Are you kidding me? That's no, no. I think you you must have heard me tell, tell the story. And he just looked at me and he goes, no, that's what I heard. And we just were, we kind of stared at each other for a minute. We're like, okay, let's go to lunch. Like, we didn't know what to do. You know, we're just like, it's time for lunch. Let's go have soup. And we really didn't talk about it again for a while. And then at lunch, one of the um, the assistants, the dame of Malta, uh, she was asking us how, how it went in the baths, you know. And um, I looked at her and I looked at Jerry and Jerry and said, keep it to ourselves. We don't want anybody thinking we're crazy. You know, just we can't be the crazy Americans. Just We're just we'll pray about it. and We'll ask Father when we get home. And so I, I don't listen so well all the time. And I, so I looked at my friend. Her name was Blanche at the time. And I, and I said, um, so this happens. And I told her everything that happened. And she was like, oh, my gosh, that's so wonderful. Well, it turns out she had a conversation with one of the priests traveling with us. And he came to us that evening at dinner. And he said, so... I heard you guys had quite the experience in the baths today and Courtney did this amazing thing and she held our lady and she smiled and and I said, how awesome. She knows where she is. She knows what's happening. Hmm. And I said, well, I I think she does because she's my daughter and she's so brilliant. So of course, you know, and he goes, well, Mary, you know, how old is Courtney? And I said, she's seven. And he goes, Oh, so when is she receiving her first communion? And I just stared at him and I said, Courtney doesn't speak. Like, there's no way to know, to catechize her. You, you can't, She, I don't think she's receiving her first communion. And he looked at me and he goes, you don't think she knows who God is? Mm. You don't think she knows where she is right now? You don't think she's aware and she just can't communicate to that? I think she communicated really well this afternoon. Mm. And I just looked at him and he goes, do you have an objection to her receiving her first communion? <laughs> What are you to say? No. <laughs> yes, I have an objection, Father. No, of course I have no objection to her receiving her first communion. And he just said, he goes, well, let's see what the bishop says. Because we're tra- you always travel with the bishop. And I'm like, okay, I haven't really ever talked to a bishop in my life, but all right. And so we talked to Bishop Curlin, who was with us. And Bishop Curlin came over to us and said, well, I see no reason why she can't receive her first communion. Mm. <laughs> so like... Uh, so of course the first thing I think of is we don't have a dress. You can't, we don't have a dress because <laughs> you know, I'm a mom. That's yeah. the first thing that pops in my mind. We don't have a dress. <laughs> and one of the women traveling with us the next day outside of our hotel room, there was a box and, um, it was a white dress. She had oh. gone into town and bought Courtney a white dress with a veil. And, um, and so you we got, got me unstuck again. I'm crying home. again. I know. <laughs> And, and she received her first communion in Lourdes oh, that is so uh, with her white Reebok high tops. <laughs> and we, we leaned her against me. She stood on her own two feet. She opened her mouth. And oh, wow. when Father, uh, the bishop said, you know, this is the body of Christ. Courtney went, oh, she never said amen. That was her amen. And she received communion at, at every opportunity, every Sunday for the remainder of her life. Um, and that particular miracle was a direct answer to prayer of her brother. It was Jonathan's prayer. No. He wanted her. He was desperate for her to do something that every other child had done. And um, the next weekend after we returned from Lord's was Mother's Day weekend. And that is the traditional weekend in our parish where our kids received their first communion. And Courtney was seven. So Courtney got to receive first communion first before any of her little yes. friends who were her same age did. And when we got home, that's the first thing Jonathan said was, Mom, she did it first, mm-hmm. just like everybody else. And that gave him such peace and consolation that things were, were okay for the moment. That was a direct answer to prayer for him. Oh, and so that gave us a bolster. We came home, and it took us another four years to understand what acceptance meant. And what we came to understand is there's three ways of the church teaches healing. First is miraculous healing. You have uh, a tumor shows up, you have intercessory prayer, or you have a relic that's touched to it, however that happens. 
um, you go back to the doctor, there's no tumor. You know, it's miraculous. There's mm-hmm. no medical reason why this healing could have happened. The second is healing after a time of suffering. You think of chemotherapy and cancer, you go through a time of suffering, and then there's a time of healing. And the third is acceptance that healing will not happen this side of heaven. It will happen when you enter the gates and into our Lord's arms. Mm -hmm. And on November 1st, 2004, four years after Courtney was in Lourdes, she was uh, undergoing brain surgery. And we were in the waiting room of the hospital. And I was reading those notes from a recent um, retreat I had been on. And it was about healing. And I was reading that. And I read it three times. And it just came to me in that moment. Um, who went in the water first? Courtney went in the water first. What was our prayer for Lords That we would hear our daughter's voice. We just wanted to hear her authentic voice. Mm-hmm. And I looked at Jerry and I said, holy bananas, which is really not what I said, but that's what I'll say now. <laughs> and I said, uh, I, I think I figured it out. And he just looked at me and he had no idea what I was talking about. And I said, Jerry Lords. And he go, he was reading his history book. He's like, the Lords, why are you the Lords? I said, no. You know, I said, I said, he, you know, when were we ever more open to hear the Holy Spirit to hear our Lord's voice. When we had we ever been more prepared spiritually? We had been to confession. We had done um, novenas. We had said the rosary. I mean, all of these things that are that are given as sacramentals and part of our Catholic faith. We were doing all of that. And I said, Jerry, it wasn't Our Lady that spoke to us. I said, Courtney told us mm-hmm. in her word that she knows why she's here. This is hers to carry. We are to be her hands and feet, and we are to not be afraid because she is doing what God is asking her to do. And he looked at me, and he goes, oh, my gosh. I, I, I think you're right. And I said, let's pray about it. Let's go talk to Father, our pastor, and see if he thinks we're insane. <laughs> and so he went, and we told Father the whole thing. And father was crying and he looked at us and he goes, nope, that works for me. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And we t- we've, we've spoken to several priests over the years and, and every single one of them. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That was voice. Such a gift. And it was a very, I, you know, as I say to Jerry, I said, we have heard our daughter's voice. It's the most beautiful voice. Yeah. So peaceful. Absolutely. So full of joy. Yeah. And, uh, I miss it. I hope to hear it again one day. You will. You will definitely will. hear it I look again. I forward to it. By the grace of God, I will. Yes, you definitely indeed. will. But she, you know, and when she passed away, it was beautiful. And, and we treated her funeral as if it were her wedding day. And so there was not one lily in that church. It was all wedding flowers. Oh, how beautiful. As, you know, my husband and my son walked her down that aisle and and I said you know do you want to go together and he said no this is I am walking her down the aisle for the last time I'm walking her to her beloved Mm -hmm. so this is my gift to her I'm going again yeah (laughs) (laughs) well the thing is is that you know I you know what when tears are present healing is present and that's what I believe I must be very healed what does a tear do it gets into every single nook and cranny on your face. You know, mm-hmm. it gets into all the crevices. There's nothing that's hidden from a tear. It gets everywhere. Yeah. And and that's that's God, you know, Beautiful. that's Jesus. That's the blood of the cross. That's mm-hmm. the tears of Our Lady. Uh, they're all healing. You know, our story is unique in that every human being is unique and every life is unique. But our story is universal in that the love of a parent for a child um, changes you yeah it changes your heart it changes your life um and if you allow god to truly work within that relationship amazing things can happen and he shows up and everything and uh that's what finally happened with us it took a long time and and for me um on that day um the day of december 20th 7th, 2014, that was the ultimate day of surrender because Mm -hmm. I had to let her go to God. Mm -hmm. I had to let her go home and I had to do it without being bitter and I had to do it without being angry and I had to do it 
every single piece of my being. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's okay because she is where we want her to be. As a mother, your one true desire yes. is to pray your child to heaven. So I cannot be mad. No. You know, I can be upset that it happened so quickly or the timing felt wrong or, you know, and my humanity shows its face when the devil likes to remind me that I'm, I'm, I'm without her, yeah, you know, you're alone. Um, and then I just turn around and say, but I'm never alone. Mm. She has never once left my heart. She will never once leave my mind. And what I think of now is pure unadulterated freedom and joy to do the work unencumbered to inspire freely and fully she is your most powerful intercessor Mm. i have received so many letters and emails and text messages i asked your girl to help me today and man did she show up i asked courtney in this this situation 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 only just these, and some people I've never, ever met in person and will never have an opportunity to meet. And yet she is there for them because Courtney, again, did not belong to me. She belonged to God. And therefore, to share her is easy. Wow. Because well, she's my heart. Well, many more women are going to know her and rely on yeah. her. <laughs> so you'll be getting a lot more emails. <laughs> I'll put her to <laughs> work. To I'll put her to work. There you go. <laughs> I trust me I put her to work every day and it's funny because my son said the other day he goes mom you know how hard it is to be the brother of a saint and I looked at him I'm like dude you should be your mother come on give me a break I have many more years on this planet than you do you know but she does she looks out for us but um you know be brave and the scared. That's what she taught us to do. And if you look at the cover of that book, when when the publishing company Ave Maria Press chose that cover, they had no idea what they were choosing. It's the morning sky. It's the first break of dawn in the morning sky. And there were so many nights when I would pace the living room holding Courtney with her going through seizure after seizure after seizure. And my only prayer was, Lord, let us see the morning. Just let us see mm-hmm. the morning. And they didn't know that. And so when it showed up and they said, we hope you like it. We think it it speaks to the book. I just laughed and then I cried and I talked to my daughter and I said, you did this. (laughs) You said, mom, I see the morning sky every day and it's beautiful. beautiful. And that's all I see is glory. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, life is hard and God asks us to do many, many hard things. But he asked us to do them because he showed us how to do them. You know, he gave us the ultimate example in his suffering and in his Via Dolorosa and his own carrying of the cross. Mm. He gave us every instruction we would ever need on how to live our life fully for him. And it's up to us to accept that and to embrace that and to, to suffer for someone else. This beautiful gift in the Catholic faith called redemptive suffering. Mm. To take on that suffering in someone else's name is the greatest gift we can give. Because you think of a mother in labor. You go through all of that labor and what do you get? Hopefully, by the grace of God, you receive this beautiful gift of a baby. Well, we labor every single day, don't we? We labor in our suffering and in our life. So why not name that? Offer it up and name it. Name that suffering. And it gives it purpose. Oh, God Mary. never wastes any of it. Nothing. That is Doesn't so waste beautiful. Any of it ever. I'm going to have to wrap it up because I need more tissues. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was good that all was, the time. That was so beautiful. But before we go, I, I didn't ask you, I didn't tell you, you need to think of something that brought you joy this week. I'm sure there'd be plenty. Oh my gosh, it brought me joy this week. I get to talk to you. I'm talking to a beautiful sister in Christ in Australia. Are you kidding me? Um, brought me joy. Well, it was Easter yesterday. I mean, come on. I can't get more joyful than no. that. I had the best mashed potatoes, horseradish mashed potatoes with oh. our ham yesterday. Quite lovely. 
oh my gosh, I was so happy. And then there were blueberries for dessert, which are some of my favorites. Yeah. Like my, my joy tends to be around food. That's <laughs> so okay. That's, <laughs> that's mine God's too. God's greatest gift. <laughs> no, oh gosh, so much to be joyful for. I'm alive. Yeah. And, you know, um, and he still has work for me to do. So we're going to do it. Yeah. You're a good woman. I'm so glad that I got to speak to you. <laughs> my joy. It is such a joy to talk to you as well. Yeah. Well, is I went for a jog yesterday because I my word for the year is swim, but I was totally overcome with fear about sharks because last time I was in there, there was a shark. So I've done it a few times this week, no, we and don't then have a lot of those here. Oh, I couldn't bring myself to do it. But as I was jogging, oceans that song, the hill song. Ocean, oh yes, beautiful song. Was, yeah. So I got to get back out there. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. He's just letting you know it's okay. That's the exactly The shark may right. be there and I made the shark and the shark is beautiful. Yeah. But the shark has nothing to do with you. No. So that's, so, yeah. You Thank go, you. You got to go be strong and be brave. That's exactly it. And I kept having you in my head saying, be brave in the scared. <laughs> I am petrified. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know what? Sometimes being brave in the scared doesn't mean there's not going to be fear. Yeah. It just means you're going to do it anyway. Exactly. And that's what being brave and scared is. Just got to do it. Perfect. I'm running out of time. It's going to leave us in a minute. So I'm going to have to end it here. But thank you so much from the bottom of my You're heart. You're so welcome. You're, You're a beautiful so woman with a beautiful daughter. <laughs> She's just yes, amazing. I am. She's right. awesome. 